0: been thinking about this lately This is what I suppose Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, South London You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org I realize not right with me So I'm on my knees for understanding The more the world I see, the more I see Leave off in it, but I'm no diamond ring i got a lot to learn, so I'm listening Let's pray as we um, give ourselves to the Word of God. Dear Lord God and Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for your faithfulness. We thank you for your kindness and your goodness. We do bless you, Lord. Lord, we sing the songs, and when it comes down to it, Lord, we are tested. Do we really mean it? You give and take away. We want to align ourselves with Job, at least in theory. And yet, Lord, we recognize that in practice, you are God, sovereign over all. You're in control. And so, Lord, as we consider for a a final time in terms of just the ministering of the word and preaching on this issue, Lord, the value that you have conferred upon us and that you have placed in us, And that you have created in us, Lord, through Christ Jesus, the value that you have given us, Lord, we do recognize and realize to whom much is given, much is required. And so we do pray that you would help us to be faithful, to not look at ourselves or our circumstances, but to look to you, who is the author and finisher of our faith. We bless you today Lord for your word and for your goodness and your kindness towards us in Jesus name amen Jesus is king we are his servants all that we have is his and we are to manage what he has given us until he comes and he will come again in consideration of time well we only have one life and it soon will pass trust me I remember when I was born, no, I don't remember when I was born, but when I was born, my aunt was about my age that I am now. And having arrived at the age that I am now, she's gone to be with the Lord. And it kind of caused me to sit down and put things into perspective. You know, my earliest recollections of my aunt was two years old, maybe. And it was probably around the time when my gran who brought me up started to take me to church. And I remember my aunt always having an array of hats, always making sure that I was behaving for my granny and that I was in church. And it seems a while ago, but actually I can remember that. We only have one life. We ain't always going to be young. It soon will pass. Only what we do for Christ will last. In terms of our talents, we could ask a question as we did What on earth are you doing for heaven's sake? Hmm. What on earth are you doing for heaven's sake? So we have this time. How are we making it count with the skills and abilities and so on that God has given us for glory? We considered, with regards to treasure that we are not to lay up treasure for ourselves on earth, but rather lay up treasures in heaven. Lay up treasures. We are to actively, considerately, and committedly give ourselves to storing up treasure in heaven. And so we began to consider last week that giving is one of the Primary means by which we give ourselves to laying up treasure in heaven. We looked at the issue of our core giving being a responsibility that we have as Christians, as we looked at First Corinthians nine and Galatians six six, that we have that responsibility, and yet there's another dimension. <laughs> Another dimension of giving in addition to other considerations with regards to what do we do with our money how do we use our funds to lay up treasures in heaven and it's that compassionate giving the giving that is based on the motivation of the heart to help relieve others and Paul spoke to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 9 about their giving and their responsibility. And then in 1 Corinthians 16, he introduces the notion of the compassionate giving. And so in verses one to six of 1 Corinthians 16, Paul speaks to them about the needs of the church in Jerusalem. For those of you who remember our series in Acts, you will remember that The church in Jerusalem around Acts chapter 8 came under heavy persecution. Israel was still under Roman occupation. And uh, the Roman ruler of the time, who would have been Nero, um, and yeah, around chapter 8 would have been Nero, was bringing heavy persecution of the Christians. And so as a result, it caused the Christians to have to flee from Jerusalem en masse, which God used. He used it for his glory so that the gospel would no longer be contained and huddled in this holy huddle in Jerusalem, but it then was taken further afield. And so the persecution had a beneficial Contribution to the fervorance of the gospel, and yet the saints who remained in Jerusalem were in need, they were in need of assistance. And so, Paul speaks to the churches, and in 1 Corinthians 16, and you can turn there if you wish, we see Paul highlight the fact that the giving of the saints to the church in Jerusalem is such that it ought to be considered and uncompelled. Considered and uncompelled. Verse 1, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. So he's saying, look, consider in advance how you're going to respond to this need and give yourself, prepare for it. He then goes on to say in verse 3, And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredited by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for for I intend to pass through Macedonia. And note that he makes reference to the fact that he's going to Macedonia first, and then he's going to come to the Corinthians. In verse 6, he goes on to say, And perhaps I will stay with you, or even spend the winter, so that you may be able to help me on my journey wherever I go. And so we see that Paul is speaking to the Corinthians and he's preparing them to respond to this need of relief that the church in Jerusalem had. And he was stirring their hearts and focusing their minds on how they can respond to that need. Now over in 2 Corinthians, and we're going to kind of camp in this section, so if you turn over to Second Corinthians chapter 8, we're going to be doing a whistle-stop tour through chapter eight and nine. As you you turn there, consider this. Now, Paul had spoken quite convincingly to the Corinthians about their giving in, in the first letter that he wrote to them in chapter nine. And yet now he writes a second letter And as if he hadn't talked enough about money, he now writes two chapters, two whole chapters on the issue of giving. And so chapters eight and nine, um, that is the focus. And as we get into chapters eight and nine, and again, it's a whistle-stop tour, the first thing he does is he highlights the Macedonian example. So he said he was going to Macedonia first, and he did. And he came from Macedonia with a testimony for the church in Galatia. And he identifies the fact that, first and foremost, in verse 5, the most important thing was that they gave themselves to the Lord. They gave themselves to the Lord, first and foremost. Before they had even demonstrated how they practically and financially were going to give to the church in Jerusalem, their attitude of heart and their surrender was such that it was evident to Paul that these people are given to the Lord. And it reaffirms the statement that I made last week. You know what? God doesn't need our money. But he wants our heart. And the Macedonians were an example of this. We see in verse 2 that they were generous in hard times, they experienced affliction, and yet they didn't allow self pity and self centeredness to cause them to focus on themselves only. Verse 2, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. And so we see, they were generous in hard times. In verses 3 and 4, we saw that they counted it a privilege to participate In this relief, they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own free will, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And so they gave themselves and counted it a privilege even to the point of going above and beyond measure. Out of their lack, they gave. And yet we see in verse 8 that Paul makes it clear as he speaks to the Corinthians. He says, this is not a command." I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. And so this compassionate giving isn't something that's commanded. It's, it's something to which we're invited to participate in. And there is an opportunity to, in, to experience the joy of the Lord as we come alongside others in making relief towards their needs, needs. And so we see the giving, in this sense, isn't commanded. But it's something to which we're invited. In verses 11 and 12, we see that our giving is to be based on what we have and not what we don't have. What we have and not what we don't have. Verse 11, so now finish doing it as well so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. So Paul is not trying to squeeze anything out of them. He's not trying to guilt trip anyone. He's not trying to pressure or condemn anyone. He's saying, look, just think about what you've got and give out of that. No one's compelling you to give what you don't have. And in fact, in verse 13, we see that he's not trying to squeeze anything out of them. He says, I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. But that as a matter of fairness. He highlights that issue again in verse 20. He's not trying to compel, arm twist, as so often may be the case, as we may have even ourselves experienced. In verse 20, he says, We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. So he said, look, I'm going to have companions, and they're going to take care of all the practical collection, because I don't want you to think that I'm coming here in person now to, you know... Play the heavyweight in order to get money out of you. Now I'm gonna have the, 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 the trusted deacons, the brothers to come and take care of that. So you don't think that I'm trying to manipulate you in any way. Now isn't this a glorious picture? Isn't this such a picture of God's heart toward us when it comes to our finances? God is so good and so gracious. He doesn't compel us, He doesn't condemn us, He doesn't try and manipulate, harangue or harass us, but He invites us to participate. And over in First Timothy 6, Find a reference in verse six, Paul says, Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. We brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. If we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. And so, godliness with contentment is great gain. And it's contrasted in chapter 6 against those who would pursue money, who would desire money, those who would even run into danger, and some who even caused their faith to be made shipwreck because they promoted and prioritized money, even over a contented relationship with God. And that's the pleasure that we have to enjoy as Christians, a contented relationship with God. I hope you didn't turn over to First Timothy 6, I'm gonna tell you to turn back to Second Corinthians 9. Now. So, in 2 Corinthians 9, I'm going to give you one, two, three, four, five, six, seven C's. Seven C's that ought to characterize our compassionate giving with regards to us as believers, considering how the Lord might use us to help meet the needs of others. So the first C, verse 5. Already been mentioned, uh, giving ought to be considered. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 5. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. So again, he's reminding them, look, be prepared. Think about it beforehand. Don't let it merely be an afterthought. In verse 6, we see that it ought to be carefree. And so, verse 6 states, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, that isn't supposed to be a motivation now for us to think about new investment stream hmm, okay then, so that pressed down, shaken together, and you know the rest is coming my way, hundredfold. That's not the consideration. What Paul's saying is, look, don't feel that you have to kind of penny pinch as you give, being concerned for yourself, primarily. You can be carefree in your giving because... As it says in Proverbs, God is no one's debtor. God don't owe no one nothing. And so, give what you can. And you know that God will respond to that. And so, our giving, we're able to be carefree in our giving and our capacity to meet the needs of others. Our third C... It ought to be based on conviction and not condemnation. So you got two for the price of one there. It ought to be based on conviction and not condemnation, verse 7. Each one must give as he has made up his mind. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. And so as it comes to us seeking to meet the needs of others out of that which the Lord has blessed us with let us not walk around condemned feeling compelled but actually let us pray about it let us consider it and based on the conviction of that which the Lord has placed in our heart let us follow through on that and allow the Lord to use it so it ought to be based on conviction and not condemnation. Also in verse 7, we see that it's to be cheerful. Cheerful, we're to be able to give cheerfully. And you can imagine now that as we see this picture unfolding, that God isn't there trying to twist our arm, he hasn't got a gun to our head, that we're able to consider how much we want to give from that which he's given us. We're able to be cheerful. Cheerful. It's not something that's supposed to be so burdensome and so wearying and but we're able to give in a cheerful fashion, knowing that what we do is a worthwhile endeavor. We're doing that which is pleasing to God. And no, it says that God likes a cheerful giver. Is that right? No, it don't, don't say that. It says that God loves. And as we engage in joy in our giving, God shares in that joy and he delights. He loves a cheerful giver. And we see an example of that back in Exodus when God said to Moses, okay, look, speak to the people because we need resources to build the tabernacle. And so the word went out to the tribes and the tribes began bringing their money and their gold and their materials, fine linen and so on. To the point where everyone was giving cheerfully. We're in the promised land. Yeah, hey, the Lord's brought us through and we're going to have a tabernacle and everyone's giving joyously. To the point where they had to say, no more, no more, stop, 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 stop. Because the people had a cheerful heart toward the Lord in Recognizing the privilege of participating in God's work in that way. And so our giving is to be cheerful. And also, verse 8 shows us that our giving is supposed to be confident. Our giving is supposed to be confident. God is able to make all grace to abound to you. God is, now it's talking about God's ability. Is there anything that God can't do? There's nothing that God can't do. But, oh, God can't lie. You can't deny himself. But we recognize that that is determined by his nature. So he can't do anything in contradiction to his nature. Should I say it like that? (laughs) He can't do anything in contradiction to who he is. And yet we recognize that Scripture clearly shows us that God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. And it says that that limitless power is available to us in doses and small measures. No, it don't say that. It says that that limitless power is available to us to abound to us so that having all sufficiency, that we will always have enough. Now, how much is enough is another question. But we will always have enough. Having all sufficiency in all things at all times Oh my gosh, that sounds kind of comprehensive, right? All sufficiency in all things at all times. You may abound in every good work. And so, we can give confidently, knowing that God's grace abounds to us, and that's primarily... In Christ Jesus. Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So Jesus Christ is the key to God's abundant grace toward us. Jesus Christ is the key to our sufficiency in God. Some of us really need to hear that because we're, we're thinking that the key to our sufficiency is our hard work. We're thinking that the key to our sufficiency is how many hours we put in at work or how many degrees we get. That's going to secure our sufficiency in life. Jesus Christ is the key to our sufficiency. God has given us his son freely and so how will he not also with him graciously give us all things Jesus Christ is our sufficiency in verse 11 we see that our giving is to be two things Constructive, so in verse 11 it states, you will be enriched in every way for all your generosity, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. And so we will be enriched. Now, again, let's understand the sense of that word enriched. It doesn't say, and you will be made rich. (laughs) You will become rich. How can we become rich if we're already rich? Think about it. How can we become rich if we're already rich? If we've received God's son, we are rich. So it's not speaking about us becoming rich and particularly not in a material sense. But it says that we will be enriched in that we as a person will be enriched. We will grow and mature and be more like Christ. We will be changed and become better in every way for all of our generosity. And so what a glorious promise that is. That our giving is constructive with regards to our spiritual well-being; That it builds us and enriches our hearts and lives. We also see that our giving causes a celebration And that's our final C. You will be enriched in every way for all your generosity, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. And it goes on, on the same theme of thanksgiving. For the ministry of this service is not supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. And so... As we partner with the Lord in giving compassionately, considerately, based on conviction, without condemnation, not feeling compelled, constructively, we see that not only are we enriched as people, as individuals, as Paul said to the Philippians in Philippians 4.17, it's not that I desire the gift from you, but it's fruit. that fruitfulness in our heart increases, but it also causes others to celebrate God's goodness. Even those that are not receiving our generosity, as they witness the testimony of our generosity, celebrating the goodness of God. And so we are encouraged to give compassionately and to participate in that work with the Lord. And so, you can turn over to First Timothy 6 now. In verses 17 to 19, and the whole chapter, in fact, chapter 5 and chapter 6 speaks about money, and we don't really have time. This could be an an ongoing series, and we're going to get into Timothy, so I won't labor the text unduly. But in verses 17 to 19, we see a, a parting exhortation that Paul says to Timothy that he is to make for those at the church in Ephesus. Verse 17, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. That's an old school word for arrogant. Nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Wow, God is so good. He has lavished us with all things to enjoy. Not that we would be brought under the power of these things, but that we are free to enjoy them. And yet those people are to do good, verse 18, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus storing up treasure for themselves. Familiar phrase, right? thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. You see, those of us who are rich in this world are to enjoy the things of this world but not be consumed by them. We're to be rich but rich in good works, generous and ready to share. And the needs to which we're able to respond are a multitude. But let us not think that we are not rich. According to a variety of surveys, London is the second, well, in 2011, London was the second richest city in the world, in terms of income generation. Now, you can look at a multitude of surveys, and obviously, they say that there are lies, damn lies, and statistics. And so, you know, you you've still got to put faith in the, in the statistics, right? But ultimately, they say that, when you look at the average across the different surveys, London was at least in the top 10 income-generating cities of the world, at least in 2011. Now, we are blessed. And you might think, but at the end of the month, when I look at my paycheck, and I I don't see that. But you have to remember that income generation equals living standards. Income generation equals quality of life. And so it's not that okay, well, we don't have any money, but we've got nothing to show for it. We enjoy a certain quality of life that we pay for. And so the reality is that we are rich. We're rich in so many ways, and it causes us to be in a place where, before the Lord, we'd prayerfully consider our lifestyle choices. There was a lady who just felt compelled by God not by anyone else she was highly motivated let me put it like that to give and Warren Wisby tells this story of how she decided to shut off the hot water tank in her house in order to save that money and be able to give it to the orphan ministry of the church she shut off the hot water and then you think oh, so what my girl actually like <laughs> Showered in cold water. Well, what she would do is she would boil the water on the fire. And so, that was a lifestyle choice. A lifestyle choice that she made in order to be able to give. And at that time, it was a sacrifice. And so we see that we all are in a place where we can consider what we do with the money that we have, what we do with the talents that we have, what we do with the time that we have in order to honor and glorify God. Um, I think it was about, it was either last year or the year before I heard the statistic Gospel for Asia said that it costs 20, as no more than 20 pounds. I think at the time it was 15 pounds to support a missionary in Asia. 15 pounds to support a missionary in Asia. And that was 15 pounds per month. 15 pounds per month to support a missionary in Asia. And obviously at first you think to yourself, wow, that's cheap. And my first thought wasn't how affordable it was. My first thought was, what kind of life did they live on 15 pounds a month? And so we do have brothers and sisters within our own congregation even and further afield who genuinely warrant our help. In First Timothy 5, and as we go through it um, in due season, you'll see it highlights that the church were to consider the plight of widows. And Paul goes at great lengths to, those who are truly widows, support them. And those who are truly widows that serve the, the church and are submitted to God, support them. And as a church, we are already given to benevolence in many ways. And there are many other ways. Hmm, God have mercy. Fresh. There are many other ways in which we could be more benevolent considering the needs of those who don't have. We see in the 19th century, there was a... a, 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 a a new movement that emerged in a very powerful way. And it was a movement of social reformers where the church, Christians, rose up in society and began to give themselves to making a difference in society. Not waiting on the government to give money, but using money out of the church's resources and out of people's personal resources. You hear about Peabody Trust, you've seen them... That housing estate? Christian philanthropist. Salvation Army. We're familiar with that. William Booth. And so during the 19th century, there was a multitude of initiatives that concerned and considerate Christians gave themselves to. Bernardo's, familiar with Bernardo's? many of you are familiar with George Mueller and the testimony of him and the the orphan houses you see the Lord has called us to be salt and light he's called us in the same spirit of the Old Testament to consider the deprived and unfortunate those who do not have the benefits and luxuries that we do I mentioned to you a few weeks back about John Wesley, a British preacher in the 18th century, and how he got to a point where he lived on 2% of his income and gave away the rest. He lived on 2% and gave away 98%. There was a point when the tax man wrote to him knowing that he was a guy who had money He was originally a professor at Oxford, and they got paid in those days. So the taxman wrote to him and said, surely there must be some um, assets that you're failing to declare. And he said, look, you know what, I've got a silver spoon in this house, and I've got maybe two silver spoons in that house, and everything else, why would I keep it? It goes to those who need it. He was a serious breader. He was a breader who committed himself to to eat the menu of the servants that would serve in the the houses of the well-to-do, which consisted primarily of potato. And he said, why would I eat the meat that can clothe and feed another person? That was his own personal conviction and commitment. The turning point for John Wesley was when he was in his um, study one day, and a young girl came to to serve his needs. And it was bitterly cold outside, and she had on merely a a thin blouse. And he looked for some money to give her, and he had none. And he looked at the paintings that he had just bought for his study. And he cried out, woe is me. These paintings are that which could have provided clothing and warmth for this poor girl. God is not pleased with me and what I do with my money. And that was the turning point. When the Lord opened his eyes to the fact that there are others who have needs. Needs that he's able to meet if we were not to be so self-centered. And so, yes, we only have one life and it will soon pass. Only what we do for Christ will last. We ask the question, what on earth are we doing for heaven's sake? Are we laying up treasures on earth Are we seeking to lay up treasures in heaven? What an opportunity for us to give ourselves to the creative development of the gospel and fervorance of the gospel. Whether it be like those social reformers investing in social enterprises that would see property, orphan homes, We we still have those needs today. When you think about the gang issues that we see in our communities and these young people that have no family identity, no sense of belonging, trying to find it in the gang and their peers and those of their community that they grew up with and went to school with. And having, feeling they have no choice or no option because there's no family for them to run to in another part of the country, another part of town. People who are today, 2012, living unloved lives, uncared for. I heard Mama Sari, Temi's mom, saying that we would love to see places where these young people could be taken in and cared for. And nurtured and and educated and discipled so as to be able to cut their ties and start a new life. That's a practical response to a real problem that exists today. But it's not going to happen without money. And if we're waiting for the government, well then Jesus soon come. <laughs> because we know that's how it is. Any of you that work in the public sector, you know there's just cuts upon cuts upon cuts to youth provision. People crying out about other riots, but what are people doing about it? And these things don't happen unless somebody makes a sacrificial commitment. And what happened in the 19th century, those social reformers started to, to really be about it. And the rest of society took note and followed suit. And so we have a tremendous privilege. We have tremendous power to make a difference through through those valuable assets of God's kingdom that he's invested to our trust. May we be creative. May we be considerate. May we be prayerful. As we seek to harness what God has given us to use it for His glory. Oh my gosh, I could go on. Community group, (laughs) innit? Yeah, we'll save the rest for community group. Let's pray. And I wonder if we can stand, and I'm going to ask if um, Tim would make his way back and the guys. You know, let's just take a moment to think about the way in which the Lord has been speaking to our hearts the way in which the Lord has been communicating and maybe even challenging us with regards to ourselves and our own lifestyle choices. Not just in terms of what we do with our money but what we do with our time what we do with our talents and treasures. And let's be very prayerful. and this, you know, as, we, as we come to the conclusion of this series and we are more able to appreciate those things of value that God has given us, may we make a conscious and determined commitment to value them, to actually value them, to not despise them. And we may not have much We may not, and we don't need to have much in our own eyes, but we just have to realize that what God has given us is valuable, is precious, and able to be used in a worthwhile way. Let's bow our heads. begin to think about what is it that the Lord wants you to do differently the Lord's inviting you to genuine authentic Christian living it's not even radical it's genuine authentic Christian living thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness Lord, we can never thank you enough Lord we appreciate the words of scripture you've given us your son how will you not with him freely give us all things Lord we realise that as we stand here at this time in this place that we are among the privileged few in this world we have such a choice of clothes to wear we it makes us later we have such a choice of food to eat we don't even want to eat because we can't think well what we're gonna eat today Lord we have time to watch TV YouTube and Facebook Lord we have gifts and talents that we employ for the benefit of others shareholders and community stakeholders Lord you've given us so much and Lord we pray that you would forgive us for those ways in which we have been completely self centered and we've not considered others before ourselves. May we, Lord, be convicted and encouraged by the testimony of the Macedonians who recognize the privilege of partnership in gospel ministry. So we bless your name and we praise you we thank you for your word which is instructive and empowering and Lord as we continue to reason with you and allow you to speak to our hearts over these things Lord we pray that you would help us to grow and be enriched thank you Lord for the way in which there are so many that serve and give themselves to you Lord thank you Lord for the work that you do do among us thank you Lord for the way in which individually Lord you establish our lives in you thank you Lord and Lord my prayer is that you would help us Lord although we're small we realise that we're strong and that Lord we would do great exploits in your name have your way, Lord, we pray. Be glorified among us, Lord. May the testimony of Calvary Chapel South London be unto great thanksgiving, Lord. Amen. Have your way among us, Lord, we pray. Have your way, Lord. We bless you for the glory of Christ. Amen. Come now found. find Every blessing to my heart to sing my grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise. I believe I'm feeling, but I'm no diamond.